Mark chapter 1 is where we'll be today, and we finished last week in verse 20, so we're going to be starting today in verse 21. We're making our way through the gospel of Mark, one verse, really one word at a time, and trying to do our very best to get to know Jesus in a great way here through the gospel of Mark. As you're turning to Mark chapter 1, I'll share that sports have, have, has been a big part of my life since I was just little. I remember the first real basketball team I played on in third grade, and I remember I got to don the blue mesh jersey, and I laced up my pro kids, that's what I was wearing back in the day, you know, and I got, I got some blue laces that matched the jersey, and I was just, I mean, that was as good as life got, and I enjoyed playing uh, sports all the way through, especially basketball. And uh, I remember as time goes by, I enjoyed also watching sports. Now, as time has really gone by, I only enjoy watching sports these days, okay? Uh, playing requires a little too much effort, but uh, I like to watch. But back when I was coming along, I would sometimes watch the Laker teams of the late 70s, early 80s. I lived in the L.A. area, and, and I would just watch them play, and I'd admire them. And they had some great teams back then. And uh, I'm thinking of Jamal Wilkes and Bob McAdoo. Somebody say amen now. Come on. I'm preaching good. And uh, they had Magic Johnson and Norm Nixon, and, and uh, those were good days to watch the Lakers, and it's been tough lately. But those were good days to watch the Lakers. And, uh, but I remember thinking as I would watch them, I think I could hang with those guys. I remember thinking, no, I, I know I wouldn't be the best guy on the floor, but I think I could probably hang with them if I, if I got a chance, you know? I remember the time came where I was able to go and see my first Laker game in person. And uh, it dawned on me, yeah, no, no. They're like not a step or two. They're like in a whole nother universe. There's no way. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm just fortunate to be in the same gym with these guys to watch a game. I could never play on the same team with these guys. But it wasn't until I personally was able to watch them that I had a, a proper appreciation for their size and their athleticism and, and, and really how great they, they really were. Now, Mark here in this gospel, he, he does us the big favor of taking us to get a personal look at Jesus Christ. He wants us to really have that proper appreciation, that proper understanding of who he is and what it is that Jesus has done. And, and he takes us in the text before us into a synagogue with the Lord. Now, we know so far in our study, we've discovered that Jesus has taught. We, we see that in verses 14 and 15. We're blessed to hear of his teaching, but I think we will be more blessed to sit in on what we might call a service. And I believe our appreciation of Jesus will increase as we get to see for ourselves what he taught and how he taught. The Bible even speaks of that and, and how he served people. And, and as we slip into this service, so to speak, I really believe we're going to gain from the value of an eyewitness account of this occasion in the life of Jesus Christ. And I'm excited for what it is the Lord has before us. Now, we're going to have to work together. And so I hope that your heart today is one to learn, and my heart is one to learn, as well as to do some teaching. And uh, we're going to go through this passage. And Lord willing, when we're done with our study today, all of us will have a better understanding of what these verses mean, and then beyond that, what they can add to our lives. And so if you're, if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing as we look to the text, Mark chapter 1. And I said that sports has long been a part of my life, and uh, yesterday I Spent much of my time screaming at a softball game like a wild man watching my daughter's team win. And so uh, feeling a little froggy in the throat today. Forgive me. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And we'll begin in verse 21. The Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway 
on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? It's kind of ironic that a demon is asking Jesus, Did you come to destroy? That's the role the devil wants to work in all of our lives. The Bible says that he cometh not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He's a user. And you're a commodity. And his desire for all of us is that he'd use us up and render us just absolutely ineffective. And so we have a demon here accusing Jesus Christ. Are you coming here to to destroy us? And we're going to take a look at that. But the Bible goes on to say, I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, again, we're going to read on. But a study of the life of Christ, and as I'm going through the Gospel of Mark many times uh, in in the course of just trying to get a better understanding of, of this great book of the Bible... We know that Jesus was very careful about how he presented himself as God the Son, when he did that, the setting, and Jesus had a ministry ahead of him, and he had to be very careful that he was working in concert with the timing that God the Father had given him, and this demon is really using his ammunition against Christ. I know who you are, and I'm going to share that news as the essence. Verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, hold thy peace. And come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? And what new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. Great text of scripture here. I want you, if you would, to go back to verse 27 just for a moment. In response to getting an eyewitness look at Christ, the Bible says this, they were all amazed. They were all amazed. I think that's an appropriate response for any occasion when we're blessed to really take a look at Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God inspired these words we read today, and the Holy Spirit of God has preserved these words today so that we can get involved in this study and and to learn from the Lord ourselves. And so as I pray aloud today, asking the Lord to bless this service, I hope that in your heart you'll be praying along with me. Lord, help me to learn today as well. Our Father, thank you for this opportunity to come in the midst of a holiday weekend to, to really honor you and to worship you. And Lord, we know that we're here also today to, to learn from the Bible. And so I pray that as we work together that you'd look in and find us doing our best to glean truths that are most needed in our lives. And And Lord, we do. We need your help in all of this. And so I pray you'd be pleased in it, that we'd grow from it. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Following the calling of Peter and Andrew and James and John, the Bible tells us that that Jesus went into Capernaum. Capernaum is a city along the Sea of Galilee. It's a place where if you went today, it would, it would announce upon your arrival to that place that it's the town of Jesus Christ. Capernaum would serve as the headquarters for the life and times of Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful city, and there are the remnants or the ruins of, of what that city would have looked like when Jesus was walking the earth. It's a city that's about 20 miles removed from the hometown of Jesus Christ, which 
is Nazareth. Nazareth was really an out-of-the-way type of a community, not a large community, perhaps somewhere between 150 and 200 people living in that town at the time of Christ. And so Jesus would make his way to Capernaum and allow that to be a place where the news of his ministry could be shared with others and, and where it could spread. It's a, it's a beautiful town nestled between some, some hills and the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And, and although the setting of this city was serene, I want to emphasize, because it was important for the sake of getting the message out, that this really was a crossroads in the region. Fishing was a major industry, and Capernaum certainly was involved in that. And, and you, you really wouldn't pass anywhere north of this region or south of this region without splitting the, the hills and the mountains in the area and filtering right through the area of Capernaum. It was an ideal place for Jesus to use uh, to, to serve as his headquarters for his earthly ministry. While Jesus made it uh, his habit there, he, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The synagogue in Capernaum is still there, and, and although not all of what you will see in these pictures would have been there at the time of Christ, much of it was. And this is the very place where Jesus would have gone to spend his time on the Sabbath day there in the synagogue. Now, I want us to have an understanding of what the synagogue was all about. We know that people of the Jewish tradition worshipped God in the temple. But during their time of exile from Israel into the land of Babylon, we know they lived as captives. The temple was destroyed and much uh, uh, damage came to the nation. And it was during that time that the synagogues were started. A synagogue could be started in any community where there's 10 or more men 12 years of age or older. And the purpose of the synagogue was not to replace the temple. Temple sacrifices only happen in the temple. But the synagogue was a place where people could gather on a weekly basis to read the Word of God, to pray, to sing, and to worship. The synagogue experience would be similar to what we call today, as followers of Christ, going to church. Not a perfect parallel, but to kind of help you understand, it would be the equivalent in that time of, of what we might call going to church. The service was not led by priests. It was led by what we might call today laymen and just people in the community, in the town. And, and they would lead the service. And, and the one that would preside or lead in a synagogue, in a local community, was called the ruler of the synagogue. Now, According to custom, any visiting teacher would be welcomed by the ruler of the synagogue. Most synagogues would not have consisted of large numbers of people, many towns and villages. And if there were enough people to have a synagogue, it probably wouldn't have been a huge number. So a guest would have been noticed. And so the ruler of the synagogue would welcome the guest, and it was the custom, it was the tradition to welcome the guest and ask them if they had something to share with those who were in the synagogue that day. For those of you who are a part of our study through the life of the Apostle Paul, we've seen in the book of Acts that he would oftentimes go to a city and his ministry would start, his launching pad for missions would start in the synagogue for this very reason. He knew, new to a town, he'd walk into the synagogue and he would be asked by the ruler of the synagogue, hey, do you have anything to say? And when you ask a preacher, do you have anything to say? They just about always have something to say, okay? He knew this and that's why he made that his pattern. And so we have Jesus in Capernaum, in the synagogue, and we find that he has this opportunity to, to share. Now, there was nothing unusual about Christ attending or speaking to those who gathered that day to worship, but what took place when Jesus began to speak was another matter. 
Nothing unusual about that day other than the fact that Jesus showed up. And when he shows up, something special always is about to happen. Now, as we gain insight from the picture formed with words here, I want you to follow along in the notes provided in your bulletin today because we're going to see, first of all, that Jesus is astonishing, is astonishing. And you say, where do you get that idea, Pastor? Well, in verse 22 of our text, the Bible says, and they were astonished. (laughs) And it was Jesus that brought them to that point. So we see that Jesus is astonishing. But what astonished them about Jesus, according to verse 22, is they were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching. When we use the word doctrine, we're referring to that which we believe, that which we teach, that which we're to live by. And were it not for the four gospel accounts, we would be left forever to wonder what Jesus preached on that day. The Bible says they were astonished. They were astonished at his doctrine or what he taught. But thankfully, as we compare scripture with scripture, and we understand that we have four gospels, four accountings of the life and times of Jesus Christ, we don't have to wonder what Jesus shared that day in the synagogue in Capernaum. For Luke tells us clearly what he said. The Bible in Luke 4, verses 17 through 22, gives us some insight into this experience. The Bible says, And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now I'm going to read on. So Jesus is in the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue, as the custom was, would have handed Jesus the the scroll, the portion of the scroll where he was to read. And the Bible says he's reading from the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is is the idea there. He was a prophet. He was prophesying in the very text where Jesus was going to read of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus is reading, and and the Bible says, when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness. And wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? As was the custom, the scroll containing the Old Testament was handed to Jesus. He reads a prophecy that predicted one day that he would come and do the things that were contained therein. And as Jesus read those those words that would have been known to those that were in the audience that day, and as the prophecy was read, Jesus concluded after reading those words by essentially saying, hey, that's me. This is me. The one we're reading about in the Bible, the one that the Bible says will come, the one that Isaiah prophesied, that's me. He specifically said, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. That was astonishing. And the people looked around and said, wait a minute. He just said, basically, he's the son of God, God the son. And they asked amongst themselves, I thought he was Joseph's son. Isn't this Joseph's son? They were astonished by what Jesus said. I watched a while back a national talent show and and uh, I remember watching, there was this little girl, and she was cute enough in the interview part, and I think she was six, if I recollect, and, and uh, then it came time for her to sing. And I was blown away. I remember thinking, this little, little tiny girl, and she started singing, and my response was, did that just come out of her, the emphasis on her? 
this little tiny six-year-old child, and she sang like with this dynamic voice. I, I was shocked by what came out of her. It was astonishing. And I think it's a similar sense to here's Jesus, he's in Capernaum, and he reads these prophecies, and, and he shares the words. The Bible says they were, they were gracious words. They wondered at his gracious words. They wondered at his, at his doctrine. And they were amazed. They thought, well, wait a minute, isn't this Joseph's son? It would have been customary for the teacher to reference an old sage or other passages. But Jesus Rather than just pointing to the Old Testament in his reading, he let his reading of the Old Testament point to him. And it was an unusual day for them to say the least. Jesus regularly blew the minds of those who listened to him. As Matthew and Luke record his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we find their response to Christ it was the same as here. In Matthew 7, 28, the Bible says it this way. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his doctrine. The scribes would get up and they would say, it has been said. And they'd quote some old time prophet or old sage, even a passage of scripture, Old Testament scripture. It has been said. But Jesus was unusual. Jesus came along, and through much of his preaching, he would say, it has been said, but now I'm saying. He would say, I'll cite the Old Testament reference, but beyond that, I'm going to add to that. And they were astonished that someone would come into their midst. I want you to know today that Jesus is not an ordinary man. He's God the Son. He's the God man. And the Bible says that Jesus is... The Word of God. In John 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And when Jesus preached, He was preaching the Word of God. Many preachers and teachers and philosophers like to pique the interest of their listeners with questions. And they'll quote here and they'll quote there. But they fail to provide the answers to the relevant issues of life. They theorize, they hypothesize, but so often they fail to bring the word into the arena of real life. And Jesus did every time he spoke. Years ago, I listened to a preacher that, from my point of view, was just a little different. He seemed to have a power in his preaching, if I can use it that way. I remember on one occasion after he preached what to me was just a profound, amazing, really mesmerizing. It was one of those things where I kind of felt like, am I the only guy in here? It was just, it was directed right at me. And I asked him to tell me about, about your preaching and, and he shared some helpful things. He talked about the need to walk with God and he talked about a variety of things in terms of study. But I remember he got real serious. He said, Steve, you need to understand it's only a good message if it's a Bible message. And if you're preaching the Bible, you're preaching the Word of God. And if the Word of God is your source, you have every reason to just go out there and say it, man. Just go out there. And he talked about uh, having confidence in, in that which you're sharing. I want you to know today that the Bible is absolutely true. And the Bible is also absolute truth. We love to talk today about the gray areas. We vacillate, we waffle, we flip-flop, and we talk about those areas that well, to you this may mean, and to me this may mean, and this may work for you, but it may not work for the others. And we love to talk about the gray areas. But man, if we were to just lay the word of God out like Jesus Christ did, 
and say, this is the truth. You can like it, you can lump it, you can love it, you can hate it, but this is the truth. If you teach an absolute truth today in this day of relativism in which we're living, people will be astonished as well. I mean, when you say things like Jesus is the way, people say, well, wait a minute, that's pretty narrow, isn't it? Yeah, but we believe this to be true for it comes from the word of God. And the Bible says he's not only the way, he's the truth. He's the absolute truth. Again, this day of of, of relativism, many times we we really miss the understanding that God gave us his word so that we could know truth. And and truth is not just a topic, a subject matter. It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is astonishing. But we see also in this text that he's authoritative. We see a testimony of this fact in in verse 22. The end of verse 22, they they said that he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. But but we find more than a testimony of his authority. We find an example of it in verses 23 through 26 in our text. We find a man in the synagogue that was possessed, the Bible says, by an unclean spirit. Now, here's what unclean spirit means. A demon. Okay, so we've got a guy possessed by a demon. And uh, this is unusual. So I began to look into this and I determined, yep, there's some value in our understanding of this. But before I even move on to that, I just want to say something. Here was a guy in what we would call today a church service. Clearly, he'd been there before. He didn't come because he knew Jesus was going to be there. He, he, He didn't know Jesus was going to be there. I don't want to go further than Scripture would allow, but it would appear to me that this guy would be what we'd call a regular attender to church. He's sitting here, he's listening to Jesus, the guest, read from the Old Testament Scripture. She's listening to the words of Jesus Christ, and we discern that this guy is the furthest thing from someone with an authentic faith. He, he was in church, what we would call church, but, but he wasn't really a follower of God. He heard the word. He listened to sermons, he went through the motions, and he failed to know God personally, and that's a frightening thought. I want you to understand something. We can come to church week after week, we can listen, we can feel good about having been here, we can even learn principles that will help in our lives if applied. But coming to church every week doesn't guarantee that anybody's an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. I remember I said something like that one time, and someone said, you know, Pastor, you shouldn't say that. It would cause people to doubt. (laughs) If I can cause you to doubt, it's worth taking a second look. This guy was sitting there, and he was listening, but we, we learned something about him. He was religious, but he was lost. There's a well-known name in church history. He's the founder of the Methodist Church, as a matter of fact, a man by the name of John Wesley. He served as a pastor of of a church in London, England, and he started the Methodist Church, as I said, and and, uh, this is a man that would spend hours every day praying and reading his Bible. I've been in the room where he would spend his time with God. It's a small room, and, and on his knees, he'd read the Word, and he would pray. There was a zeal. There was a fervor. In fact, those times of prayer were were turned into larger gatherings where people would pray. And and interestingly enough, from his life, really, uh, revival that that touched that region uh, came. But but this was a man who, after starting the Methodist Church and seeing the dynamic growth that came, he came to the United States of America as a missionary in the state of Georgia. 
And somewhere in the course of that time, he, he came across, depending which accounting you read, a, a group of believers, true followers of Jesus Christ, a group called the Moravians. And by other accounts, he, in addition to that, he met an old Baptist pastor. And by his own testimony, he read the writings of, of Augustine and, and had an opportunity even beyond that to really study the book of Romans. And he realized that, that uh, uh, the Methodist church that he established to share methods that would be effective to bringing us to God... He came to understand personally at that point in his life that it's not through methods, it's not through keeping a list of do's and don'ts, it's not through following the law. He realized it's not through works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. And this pastor, this church pioneer, discovered he wasn't truly a Christian. And it wasn't until years of ministry that he came to know Jesus Christ. One of the most frightening thoughts for me as a pastor is that at some point I will not have been assertive enough and that people that come to Coastline will feel good about a dose of religion but miss out on the depths of a relationship with God that will last forever. So Jesus is in the synagogue and he's, he's speaking and he's putting that authority out there and the Bible says that this one with an unclean spirit speaks and he says to Jesus, let us alone. What have I to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? I've been told that expression, Jesus of Nazareth, was used in a derogatory way. Nazareth, as I said, was kind of an out-of-the-way type of a place. We might say it's on the wrong side of the tracks. It definitely was a place where, you know, the hayseeds or the hicks would live, uh, kind of in a secluded place, off by itself. And, and this was, I believe, a negative statement by this demon speaking to Jesus. Even the apostles talked about where Jesus was from. In John 1.46, Nathaniel said unto him, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said, come and see. And, and so they wondered about this. And, and, and then he, uh, this possessed man said this, I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. So we now have a demon speaking to God the Son saying, I know who you are. A demon saying, I acknowledge who you are. The Bible in James 2 and verse 19 says, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. This demon knew who he was up against. He believed in the power of God. And Jesus responded by speaking to this demon. And he said to this demon, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And I like that expression, hold thy peace. It means, by definition, Put a muzzle on it. That's the definite. You look that word up in a Bible dictionary, it's going to say muzzle it, man, muzzle it. Jesus said, put a cork in it. That's enough from you, buddy. The spoken word of Jesus Christ, the authoritative power of the word of Jesus Christ was enough to take a demon and render him ineffective. Friends, don't tell me Jesus does not have the power to work in your situation. Pastor, you don't know my hurt or my hang-up or my habit. You don't know what I'm going through in, in my marriage. And you don't know the difficulty in, 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 in the child relationship and the estrangement that has come. And you don't know the financial reversal. And you don't know. And I would say, no, I don't know. But I am glad that we serve a risen Savior who is in the world today. And I'm glad to remind you that He knows who you are. He knows where you are. He knows what you need. And through the power of the authoritative spoken word of Jesus Christ... Evil must flee. Don't 
Don't think for a moment God's power is too limited for you, for your needs. Many today don't believe in a God that can touch their lives. The demons aren't among that number. The demons know. And there are many people today who would say, well, I believe in God. And the Bible says, well, that's, that's pretty good. The demons go that far. Well, yeah, yeah, I've heard of Jesus. Yeah, I'm all for God. And, and friends, I want you to know that Jesus said there are going to be a lot that stand before him and say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say, in essence, who are you? I never knew you. There's more to this than just having some kind of a mental ascent that, oh, yeah, no, I believe in God. There's got to be a God, all right? That there's more to faith in Jesus Christ and just a mental ascent that Jesus lived and that there is a God. This is the point where I could share a few hair-raising stories about my encounters with unclean spirits, and I've had a couple hair-raising stories that could be told to you at this time that I'm not going to share at this time because that's what you'd remember from today. What did pastor talk about yesterday? Oh, man. This demon emerged, head was spinning round and round, you know. It was awesome. He talked about a demon. This passage is not given for us to elevate the power of a demon. This passage is given to help us see that Jesus Christ is so far superior that through the spoken word, it had to flee. I want you to remember that we serve a Savior who is the King. And yet he's a servant king. He has the power to work in your life and in my life. And I want you to know today that Jesus is greater. You can say, well, greater than what? Greater than whatever it is you're up against. For in 1 John 4, 4, the Bible says you're of God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The unclean spirit accused Jesus of coming to destroy him. But now he's doing his best to to destroy this, this one in whom he's possessed. The text says, interestingly, of of the spirit, it says that he had torn him. That's an interesting statement. He had torn him. If you were to consider that expression, you'd find that, that the best picture of that expression comes from the picture of a dog tearing at flesh. That's the big idea and that idea of being torn. Ever seen a dog just going after some meat, thrashing its head? That's the idea here. Now, put that mental image in your mind. And that's what this man was being put through. I have a dog at home. It's a little wimpy dog. (laughs) It's a nice enough dog, but it's a little wimpy dog. And all girls live at my house other than me, which is why I drive a big black truck. (laughs) Sometimes I just sit in it and think about man stuff. I don't know, but uh, it's a little, little wimpy dog. And our dog's getting older. But, you know, when our dog was younger, sometimes it'd bring its little dog stuffed animal over to me and try to provoke me to grab it. And, you know, you'd play the little thing where kind of tug of war with the dog thing. And that little dog, that little dog does not know it's a little dog, I think, you know. It'd thrash its head and, you know, it'd want to get that thing away from me. But it can't defeat me because I outweigh it by like 200 pounds. Now, I can't defeat all dogs. Some dogs can defeat me, but this, this little dog, this particular dog, it can thrash, it can tear all at once. I will win. Because I'm bit, my teeth are even bigger than this dog's teeth. I mean, it's, I'm not afraid. It's going to be okay. I'm not intimidated. Now, again, some dogs I'm afraid of, okay? Some dogs, they intimidate me. But, but I want you to understand that the greatest power evil can conjure up 
It doesn't phase Jesus Christ. It can tear, it can thrash about, it can do every type of intimidating thing it can think of. This resistance from the demon, it's not a testament to the demon's power. It is a further statement to the overwhelming power of Jesus Christ. The demon was thrashing this man, but Jesus did what he had just preached. Do you remember what Jesus preached? That he came to deliver the captives. And Jesus, he, he practiced what he preached. And he preached what he practiced. This, this man and his word were, were one. And Jesus, to the life of this one who was a captive, held captive. Jesus gave him freedom, delivered him. It's wonderful to see the Lord work through his authority. We see also in this text that Jesus is, is amazing. He's amazing. Now, that's kind of a cliche word now, amazing. But this is a Bible word. For the Bible lets us know in verse 27, they were all amazed. In fact, every one of the words we're finding to learn about Jesus is right in the Bible, you know? And so he, he was amazing. They were so astounded. They questioned among themselves, what thing is this? They couldn't wrap their minds around the Lord, his message, and his unprecedented power over evil. But what captured my attention as this unfolds is the fact that when someone is amazing, you have a hard time keeping quiet about it, you know? If something amazing, truly amazing happens, you, you kind of want to talk about it. In Mark 1, 28 here, the Bible says this, and immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. And that, that familiar way of Mark talking about immediately and straightway and right away lets us know that news of Jesus Christ, it spread to the region. It wasn't just a local story. It was, it was a regional story. There's more, no more worthy name be shared in all the world than that of Jesus and his message. Most of you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was in Papua New Guinea, and uh, it was a great trip in many ways. While there, I met a, met a pastor and his wife, met many pastors and their wives, but, but one in particular, we took an a, opportunity to go out. Their church was starting a, a little school. And so we traveled out to the village where this, this couple ministered, and their village was called Killa Killa. And I'll say that in more American uh, pronunciation. Killer, killer. This is the name of their village, okay? Now, I've been told since that they stopped having cannibalism in Papua New Guinea, but I was still a little concerned about it at this point, you know? And it's like, wait a minute, I'm going to Killer Killer, okay? And uh, so we went out to Killa Killa, and we met this, this family, and, and they, were, they were nice people and kind people, and... Really, what the Lord had done there was, was amazing. Their, their church sat really in a beautiful setting. It was carpeted with grass, and it was lined with trees and bushes. And, and their building was an interesting building. It consisted really of four poles and a corrugated roof. That was their church building. And uh, he wanted me to know, he said, everyone does not fit under the building, okay? They, they would spread all around. In fact, uh, I would say maybe a couple hundred at best would have fat, fit fat, would have fit under their building. But uh, uh, the, the, the day that their school was open, they had about a couple thousand people there in this area. And so this is, this is the building they have. I went to their home adjacent to the church building, and it, it was neat, but exceedingly simple. Um, the locals in the area live in a similar situation. This home was probably a little bit nicer, but... Not what we would consider standard living for our area. And I met the pastor, Pastor Tao, and, and then I met his wife. And nothing was unusual about this area, this setting, the way they were doing things. But there was something unusual about Pastor Tao's wife. I came to learn that she 
years before had been taken into the home of American missionaries that were there in that country serving, and they really raised her like a daughter. They returned to the States and just brought her with them. So she spent time growing up in the United States. She went to college in the United States. And she had before her a relative life of absolute extravagant wealth in comparison to Killa Now I've got to be honest with you, and I hope this doesn't disappoint you too greatly. I'm sitting here thinking, what in the world? Why did you do that? I was just trying to understand. And I couldn't quite bring myself to say to her, what were you thinking, you know? So I did manage to ask her this, do you miss America? I wrote down her statement so I wouldn't get it wrong. She said, no. She said, I love Jesus and I love my country. With joy, she went on to share how grateful she was to lift up the name of Christ in an area of the world where there's not much of a gospel witness. I'm thinking, I love Jesus and I love my country. And I'm sorry, but I'm thinking, well, don't you love, like, indoor plumbing? Do you love showers or stores? Do you love safety? Do you love an average lifespan that manages to make it out of the early 50s? But you see, I'm sure she would have said those are nice things, but she loves Jesus. And as she said, she loves her country. And to her, that warranted changing the way she lived so that more people could come to know Jesus Christ. Her, her testimony at first kind of confused me. And then it convicted me. Because I wondered how many times in my life have I missed an opportunity to let someone else know the name of Jesus Christ because there was even a threat of discomfort. I'm the guy that didn't even want to go to a village named Killakilla. It just didn't sound all that appealing to me. But then you find believers who say, you know, Jesus is worth it. His name should be spread. These who spread the news in our text seem to really only partially understand. And we're told what we're told and what's left out is, is not there. But I really don't think that, that these that spread the news of what Jesus had said and how it was said and what Jesus had done. I, I don't get the idea that these were people that had a creed all, all, all put together and printed and bound. I, I don't think they would have had uh, orthodox theology committed to memory. I, I just think they were people that met Jesus and were so absolutely blown away at, at, at how astounded they were at his message and his work and, and how authoritative he was. And that was so unusual and how absolutely amazing he was. He he, he, was, he was so wonderful, they thought, we've just got to tell people about him. I think of the great example found in the lady that we call the woman at the well. She met Jesus, and in John 4, 29, she just she couldn't help herself. She went back to everybody she knew. She said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is, is not this the Christ? 
She experienced love and forgiveness and acceptance from Jesus Christ. And she felt that he was then worthy of any time and effort and energy that she could give to spread the news that Jesus is everything he said he is. He's God the Son. When I left those early NBA games, I couldn't keep my mouth shut about what I'd seen, you know. I'd, uh, I'd come home and tell my family, oh, it was unbelievable. It was great. Go to school the next day, tell everybody. Go to practice after that, tell everybody. I just want everybody to know. With all due respect to those Laker greats of the late 70s and early 80s, just like I'm not in their league in basketball, they're not in Jesus' league in anything. If I could get so fired up about a basketball game and want to tell everybody about it and how wonderful it was and where I sat and what I saw and just how wonderful the whole experience was, oh, how much more so for Jesus, who's the king of kings, and yet he's a servant king. How much more should we want to live a life that says, you know, this region needs to know who Jesus is and what he has said and what he can, he can do for them. Our Father, thank you for this time to, to just go through a series of verses here in your word to learn more about you and to, to see how you worked and what you said and, and the response to it all. And Lord, I pray that you would truly draw us close to you, Lord. May this be an occasion for us.